The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 9 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Some practical information first. This episode goes out on Friday the 11th, and then on Friday the 18th we'll have a side quest episode. After that we're taking a break for Yule, and we will be back out with uh, the 10th book review episode on Friday the 8th of January. And speaking of our 10th episode, we mentioned that we would like to do a Q&A for that episode. However, however, we have yet to receive any questions. Now, if there are none, then we won't do it, obviously, but we would really uh, like to get some interaction going with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions for how to do that, please pop by our Facebook page, our Discord, or send us an email via the podcast's homepage. And, you know, remember, we're still open for, for questions, because uh, we think it could be fun to do the Q&A. And with that out of the way, Peter, what's new in Sweden? Uh, nothing, really. The, everything has been cancelled due to the uh, ongoing pandemic. Uh, so it's um, it, it's not really a lockdown, but it's uh, every, everything has been kind of restricted, uh, which means that it's a perfect time to uh, sit indoors listening to a podcast. Uh, it's pretty much the same here in uh, in Denmark. We had some restrictions that were supposed to be list- lifted in the beginning of December, and then uh, then the government said, "Nah, we're we're still pretty uh, hi- hi- ugh, pretty um, heavily hit by this pandemic." So uh, it's been extended to January. So uh, a lot of of big Christmas gatherings have been cancelled and everything. So yeah, sit back, relax, and uh, listen to a podcast about a time where. I was about to say pandemics did not stalk the world, but uh, give it time and it will. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the book we're looking at is Libellus Sanguinis I, Masters of the State, written by Craig Bolin, Richard E. Dansky and Robert Hatch, developed by Justin Akili. And as usual, we'll start with the cover. What did you think of that? Uh, I I think it's actually kind of cool. It's uh, the the vampires look rather human and, and not like space elves, um, and uh, and it has a very gothic feel with with a kind of uh, cathedral um, look to it with with uh, uh, with a gothic arc, uh, which is a bit early, but uh, still it's it's still a cool cover. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it, I, I was just saying that it depicts um, three vampires kind of um, grabbing for, for the same. I'm, I'm assuming that they're supposed to uh, depict the three clans uh, that the book is about. But yeah, I'm see, that's, that's my... Out, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one is which. Yeah, see, that was my big problem with the cover. Uh, I agree with, with everything you said, but... but... Who's who on the cover? I would have preferred if we could tell who was the Ventru, who was the La Sombra, who was the the Tsimish. Um, so, but otherwise, yeah, it it looks really good. But they could have made it a bit more clear. Um, when we get to the other Libella Sanguinis books, I think they make make it more clear uh, who's who. But otherwise, yeah, very very uh, atmospheric picture. 
Um, as for the internal art, it's quite clear that each chapter had a different artich, artist, mm. and each art style suits the clan very well. The La Sombra art is is really cool. It's got a lot of lots of darkness and and use of shadows. The Tsimish art is not my favorite, though it has one or two good pictures. The Ventru chapter has, in my opinion, the best art, looking yeah. a lot like uh, woodcuts and yeah. really nailing the period, in my opinion, also with a good representations of weapons and armor. Mm. Uh, what did you think of the art? Were there enough hats? Uh, yeah, there were, and there's there's actually a, a mentioning on, in the sample character uh, description, there is actually a mentioning of hats, uh, or at least one hat, so that, that satisfied my hat quota. Uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree with the... Uh, what you say about a different art style uh, corresponding to the different clans. Uh, I wouldn't. Th- there are few uh, pictures in in the La Sombra setting that doesn't really feel medieval. It it goes back to what we've talked about previously that that some of them look more modern and and there are a few pictures that look more like vampires lounging about in in a modern art gallery rather than in a 13th century castle, but. It's it's not enough to to bother me really. Um, no, uh, and as for weapons and armor, my shtick, we we mainly see it on the sample characters at the end of each chapter. So I thought I'd do a quick run through of that. Uh, in the La Sombra chapter, we have the Lord of the Church. Uh, in his description, he has a short-handled mace, uh, but. In the picture, the mace that he has is not really short-handled, but more importantly, the mace head is massive. It's yeah. it's like half the size of his head or more. Um, I mean, the template has a strength of two, and there's no way he'd be able to wield that heavier mace. And with a head that size, there's a good chance the handle would break under the strain. So that's that's not how a, a mace of that time would look. Uh, the Prince of the Taifa is described as having a scimitar, and I won't go into a lengthy talk about that word. But the weapon uh, he's depicted with, judging from its scabbard, is huge and more along the lines of a European Kriegsmesser. Uh, the daughter of the manor is listed as having a, a short sword, and in 1197, people in Europe didn't really use short swords unless it was an old weapon handed down. However, the picture is a fairly good-looking arming sword, which is really nice. It's it's uh, a bit short, and I'd say that the 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 fuller looks a bit weird, and and the point is is a bit off. But but yeah, for for being what it is, it's it's not really that. Yeah, I mean, compared to some of the other weapons we've we've seen in in art, it's it's pretty damn good. Mm. Um, then we have uh, in the Tsimish section, the Hellhound is described as wearing a scale hauberk, and I will really give them points for not calling it scale mail. Um, and and using the term hauberk. Uh, now in 1197, scale armor was was no longer in use, but the area where the Tsimish uh, are, much of that uh, had some Roman influence, so it could very well be a Roman lorica squamata uh, that that has survived, and he's been given that uh, to wear. Uh, once again, or, or oh, it sorry. could be one of the more Eastern influenced, kind of like what uh, the Magyars uh, were wearing, um, kind of like the, the scale mail of uh, the, that also the Varingian Guard uh, wore from time to time. Oh, yeah, uh, and what was also sometimes worn by the um, Byzantine cataphractoi. Mm. I, I think that they wore some form of, of either scale or lamellar as well. Um, and and of course, being in in that Eastern European area, yeah, that would that would make sense that they were inspired by that. Uh, his mace looks a lot like the the mace that I was complaining about earlier, but now it's even got spikes, um, so that's the same. The Dark Knight has a 
a very, very good looking example of a two-handed sword with a clear Ricasso and parrying logs. Sadly, that's about 200 years too early. Yeah. Uh, and in and the text, it's, it's also just... almost too short to be a two-handed. Yeah. yeah so. And also a, a bit on the narrow side, like it's, it, it's almost like it's a long sword that has the aesthetics of of a Zweihander. Mm. Um, but yeah. I just, I love the fact that you have the Ricasso, you have the parrying logs. It's clear that whoever drew that picture has seen uh, a uh, a Zweihander, uh, which has these distinctive um, sort of almost spiky lugs going out on either side. Yeah. Uh, but in the text, it's described as a broadsword, and I won't read yeah, about that. Yeah. It's it, it's a very characteristic uh, cross guards. I've seen many examples of of German um, two handed swords that that has kind of the, the curved ends uh, to to the cross guards, uh, which which again is kind of fitting for for the. Uh, for the place, if not the time, uh, yeah, exactly. Of, of um, uh, or, or the conflict rather with uh, German and, and Teutonic, uh, both the orders and other uh, vampires from that area. Yeah, uh, in the Ventrue section, we have the reluctant knight whose sword and shield are just spot on, in my opinion. The helmet needs a nasal guard, but otherwise, the shape is perfect, and the mail pulled up over the chin is 100% historical accurate. So so that picture is just, oh, I, I, I love it. Uh, and finally, we have the Deva Hunter, who's right obsessed that she has an ancient sword, but the sword in her picture has a very narrow point, meaning that it's actually at least 50 years too early for uh, 1197. Uh, but that's all I'm going to say about weapons and armor for this book. <laughs> well, it, it does uh, uh, it does say that she has a traveler's cloak and hat, which is nice, but uh, she she isn't actually depicted wearing it in, in the picture, which... Uh, is uh, which is a bit annoying, but but yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it has a very suiting, except for one of her gloves looks kind of of punkish with with studs and uh, attached uh, pieces of metal, which wouldn't be the kind of splinted uh, gauntlets that you would get uh, a bit later from this period. But she does have, for some reason, just one splinted uh, shin guard, which is uh, looks pretty good. Uh, I don't know, perhaps she lost the other one? Um, well, it says in her write-up that she has piecemeal armor that she's just you know picked up over yeah, her wanderings. Yeah. So possibly whoever she took the armor from, one of their shin guards got destroyed, and so she took the one that, that worked. But mm. yeah, it's very clear splinted armor, uh, which I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on when splinted armor came in, but I think that 1197 is a bit too early. But... Yeah, it's, it's a bit too early. It's, you would need to go for, I'd say, another 50 years or so uh, before it becomes um, common enough, so to speak. Yeah. Now, before we get into the meat of the book, I will say I really appreciate the fact that we didn't get an origin story for each clan. Sometimes books describing clans feels like yet another Batman or Spider-Man reboot where you once again get the origin story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, and that also kind of goes... Uh, I, I'm usually not a f uh, too fond of those because it kind of goes back to what I said about... Uh, the the Bali and and the devil and stuff like that it can kind of gives you a definitive answer to how things are and it kind of removes a lot of the mystery and um, freedom that you have on how you want to depict the clans yeah sure you can always just throw things out and says that this is not how it is in in my world of darkness but it's still a bit restrictive in my opinion 
Yeah, also, I mean, if you throw things from the book out, you are throwing out the common frame of reference, which means that you will have to explain to uh, the people that you're playing with that I have changed something which uh, is the baseline for how we play. Um, so, so everybody knows that this has been changed. Uh, their characters might not know it, but I mean, it's going to inform uh, something of how the players react to the game. Um, now, before the intro, we have a two-page mood spread with a picture, a quote, and a bit of text. Uh, didn't really do anything for for me. Uh, what about you? No, I think the the, the artwork is uh, it's the kind of dark with, with mostly uh, use of negative space and 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 shadows, uh, which yeah, they're they're kind of cool, but uh, it's nothing special. Um, no. Uh, so the intro is just one page, and it mainly does the intro stuff, though I do appreciate the text about new traits and how to integrate them, mm. um, or not integrate them if you want. Yeah, um, I agree, and I like the fact that there weren't like a million new traits that you have to include, and and the ones that are included are actually kind of useful, and, and they're not... Uh, they're not too narrow and and they're not too uh, they're, they're, I would say that they're actually useful is, is what I want to say yeah so the first clan we look at is clan La Sombra which is the clan that I'm currently playing in Transylvania Chronicles we start with a little intro story of one and a half pages which is a talk between two La Sombra with one trying to manipulate the other I felt that it was a bit unsubtle probably hampered by page constraints they didn't have time to to sort of develop uh, a more subtle manipulation attempt uh, so for me it didn't add much uh, but what did you think of it yeah I, I kind of agree it it felt uh, a bit forced and and kind of on the nose with with the two magisters sitting around trying to to basically out out conspiracy each other like oh <laughs> au contraire it was actually me all along <laughs> uh, yeah. it's um, I, I do like the fact that uh, that they uh, are uh, I'm, or I'm assuming that they, they are supposed to be Moorish or uh, at least uh, Muslim uh, vampires, mm. which is kind of a nice touch. Uh, but other than that, it's yeah we've we've seen this before and it's it's very on the nose. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of real-world history in the La Sombra chapter, and most of it relates to Iberia and the conflict between Muslims and Christians there, the, the Reconquista. Mm. Uh, and as well, um, there's also something about Italy, and especially Sicily, where the La Sombra antediluvian spends most of his time in his castle, the Castel de Ombro. Uh, not much to say, really, just I have two points here. And um, the first one is that I like them establishing a link between the... Um, uh, the La Sombra and the sea and saying mm -hmm. that many of the clan enjoy sailing on merchant ventures or as pirates. I don't know why, but the image of, La, of a La Sombra captain, it just works for me. There's just something about it that, that rings true. Um, so so I, I thought that was nice. Uh, the second thing is a very, very small thing. It is mentioned that the La Sombra believe that they came to Italy with Aeneas's crew, yeah. and this is why they pushed Rome towards a conflict with Carthage. Now, this only really makes sense if you know the classical story, the Aeneid, but I think it's a cool thing to use. Yeah, I, I agree that it's it's a nice touch. Uh, that for those who don't know, Aeneas was a refuge refugee from uh, from Troy who went to uh, to Italy and and then later become became like the 
grandfather of of Rome. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's a nice touch, and and again that kind of uh, ties in with the with the whole uh, seafaring theme, uh, since they had to go by boat uh, to to get there. So uh, yeah, uh, I I also like the how how they are set up. Uh, not only I, I agree with uh, with with the pirate La Sombra. <laughs> Thing that that you're mentioning, or, or seafaring La Sombra, um, uh, and what what I really like about the kind of historical, um, they they do mention Portugal uh, that, that it's it's a fledgling fledgling um, nation, which is is kind of cool because Portugal uh, started to become uh, come into its own during during this time. Uh, yeah, the, the it's, reconquista it's kind of and everything. Actually, um, yeah. So, so that's a nice touch, uh, and and I do like how uh, the kind of uh, inter-clan conflict between uh, Muslim and, and Christian uh, La Sombras are uh, is is depicted. Uh, that that they kind of have like this three-way, um, not not battle, but kind of like yeah, okay, we're all La Sombras, so we should kind of like stick together for that matter. But on the other hand. Uh, Bob is a Christian and and Ibrahim is is a Muslim and and they have different stakes in the Reconquista. Um, and then you have the third La Sombra looking on from the outside, going, "Seriously, guys?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, and and also speaking of the Reconquista, I I love love the fact that they didn't make uh, El Cid uh, the 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 hero of the Reconquista that that they didn't make him uh, a vampire. Uh, which would just be silly because he fought during battles during the day and and other stuff like that. And yeah, and they 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 really um, they they've curbed their tendencies to tendency to have uh, every important person and every important event tied into something vampiric. And here they're basically saying, well, he was he was just a mortal who was really good at what he did, yeah. and and the the La Sombra didn't get involved with him, and now he's become sort of a uh, almost a saint to them. Yeah. Um, so uh, when it comes to the clan, we have a lot of discussions on how the La Sombra are involved with the Christian faith, which makes sense given that they've previously been presented as being one of the most influential clans in the church. However, it also mentions that the, that the La Sombra are equally involved with Islam, which... I really like because it removes the whole Islam equals Asamites thing that's been going on for most of Dark Ages. It adds some diversity and color uh, to Canaanites and Muslim con- in countries. They they don't all have to be Asamites. Um, so that's really nice. We see the start of what will really be fleshed out when we get to the source book Veil of Night, which is one of my absolute favorite source books. And now the biggest thing in my mind that is discussed that is discussed. Uh, in this section of the chapters, the Amici Noctis, the Friends of the Night. I don't know if this is the first time they're mentioned or fleshed out, uh, but it's one of the more interesting and defining things about the La Sombra in the Dark Ages. In Transylvanian Chronicles, my character has already threatened his sire with the Amici Noctis once. Mm. Uh, for those who don't know, the Amici Noctis are sort of a governing council for the La Sombra. While their antediluvian and his favorite child are in charge, uh, when they don't speak, the Amici Noctis are the ones who render judgment in clan disputes. And crucially, any La Sombra can petition the Amici Noctis for the right to commit diableri upon an elder La Sombra, a La Sombra who is older than them. Uh, they just need to bring proof that uh, this La Sombra is a problem for the clan. So I really like the Amici Noctis. I think they bring an interesting element to the clan, some great story hooks, and they also 
illustrate the the idea that this clan on the surface they want to be organized but there's a whole lot of of sort of manipulating the rules going going on behind the scenes so so that's that's something that i really like yeah, I, I agree. The the Amiki in Optus, as uh, uh, I would uh, call oh, them, yeah. since, uh, since I'm, I'm schooled in classical Latin, but uh, that, <laughs> and, that's okay. And I use vulgar Latin. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I really like that. Like you said, that, that this is kind of the the, uh, the clan within the clan or, or the, uh, the the inner workings uh, of, of it. Uh, and uh, what, what I like about it from from both like a kind of organizatorial uh, perspective but also from uh, from a gameplay perspective is that it doesn't only consist of, of ancient Methuselah and and elders uh, it basically anyone can be well you don't really join the ranks but you can be taken up into the ranks of the Amiki uh, which means that even a fairly young player character can still be part of it and and it has this whole thing about if you if you as a member sit um, in judgment it doesn't matter if you you were embraced just a few years ago or if you've been around for hundreds of years your word is still well not law but it's it's still to be obeyed in this particular matter uh, and and everyone goes along with it uh, which 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 is a cool thing both from from like a um, uh, power structure perspective and like I said that it, it allows for uh, even uh, younger characters to to participate in the inner politics of the clan yeah exactly they present something that's very central to the clan but they don't lock out uh, relatively new characters if 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 you're playing a la sombra uh, you no matter what their age you can. Uh, actually, try to become a member of the Amazing Octus. So it gives it gives more story hooks to players. Mm. I I also like the fact that because I uh, they do this in a few places in, the, in these books, and I'm gonna come back to it. But it feels kind of like they're they're setting the seed to uh, things that will come later um, in in the timeline. So. I'm I'm getting getting a lot of feel for for basically what what the courts of the Amiki does is that um, you you present your case to to be allowed to eat uh, one of the elders and if they say okay then then you can go and hunt and kill this person um, and uh, and and it kind of feels like that's that's kind of the seed for the Camarilla blood hunt in a way, mm, uh, yeah. Which is interesting that it's it's the Camarilla blood hunt, but it's it's La Sombra who uh, isn't part of the uh, the Camarilla. But it's it's still kind of like they they uh, they plant the seed there, and then it can kind of grow into something like if if um, uh, if a modern day vampire scholar would kind of like see the history of the blood hunt and where it comes from they could probably write a thesis about how it originated in uh in in the mediterranean with the la sombra and then for some reason of the or the other it it has spread into um in into the modern night uh, camarilla which which I, I i like these kind of things where you're going to see how things are connected and and you can draw conclusions on on where things comes from 
Yeah. So before the requisite sample characters, we have the game mechanic stuff. There's some merits and flaws, high-level discipline powers, and some combo disciplines. <clears throat> the high-level powers are really high-level. There's an eighth and a ninth level. So so they're more like story hooks than powers for player characters, at least in, in a normal game. And for that, I think they're okay. The combo disciplines seem sort of meh to me. There's nothing that interesting there. There's one flaw that I want to talk about, but I want to hear if, if you have anything to say first. Uh, no, it's it's overall it's it's a very well written chapter. You have some uh, some stuff, but were you asking specifically about the uh, yeah the, the game mechanic of, stuff? Yeah, uh, I I I feel that that some of the uh, flaws aren't really that um, the that uh, uh, what do you call them balanced? Really, it's it's. Like for example, um, perhaps this is the one that you you want to talk about—the cloaked in shadow, which is a four-point flaw. Uh, no, uh, no, okay. it's another one. So go right ahead. Yeah, but but it's 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 a four-point flaw that says that the shadows come come to you even when you do not call them, wrapping themselves around you like a cloak in constant motion. This makes you stand out in any crowd, and you can no longer pass for quote unquote normal, even when you so wish. Uh, and basically other canines shun you and uh, are discomforted by you and uh, it makes uh, even other La Sombra consider this uh, the inability to master your shadows a failure of will on your part and and that's kind of a lot for just four points Uh, and and again it's kind of depends on how mean your storyteller wants to be uh, of how much it affects you but uh, if it's supposed to be that bad um, it I, I would say that it would be worth more than than four points to, to basically not be able to pass as a human uh, not be able to socially interact with any other vampire and be considered a failure of your own clan yeah I, yeah, I would I can, however I can see kind that. of like to see if they made a merit of the same kind of like you see the same thing from a aspect aspect that you basically just have this kick-ass shadow that goes around and intimidates people. Uh, <laughs> but oh, yeah, I don't know. What what were you thinking about? Well, that's it's the flaw that's uh, called marked for death, which means that someone has petitioned the uh, Amiki Noctis <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be allowed to commit diableria on you, and and they've been given permission and i just i never liked these kinds of, of flaws uh you know with with uh, enemies and things like that they put a lot of focus on one character because in order for them to to get their points worth you're going to have to include that so it uh, when when that's included there's a lot of focus on one character and their problems and often they tend to not play out very well and you know the way that i play i don't want to kill my player characters unless it's prearranged or the it's the result of them doing something very stupid mm. but for this flaw to earn its points you kind of have to try um and and if if it's just an enemy that's too easy to defeat, then it's not really worth any points. Uh, and and you, I mean, it's just I I always have trouble with these kinds of flaws. So I didn't I didn't like that one. It's not for me. Yeah, it's it's kind of I I agree with that. Like either it's it's free freebie points or you're basically killing off the character or or at least threatening to do so, which is not really fun. And and I also have a bit of a problem with these kinds of flaws. Um, I don't know if you should call them social or, or but, but that aren't really 
aren't really connected to the character and and it it's the same with a few of, of like the clan weaknesses that um in in general like like some of them aren't really a part of of the vampire genetics so to speak uh like whereas others are like like for example the the fact that the tremere are are bloodbound it's yeah you could technically avoid that uh, but uh, and and the Asmite having to pay a blood tithe, which again I'm still trying to figure out how it how it works. But that's that's you you could just play around it. It would probably have consequences, but then again it would be up to the storytellers. But in other cases, it, it uh, other cases it is something that is mechanically part of your character, like the gangrel frenzy features or or the Bruja. Um, mm frenzying more often and stuff like that so it's it's kind of weird that that they are aren't really balanced balanced in in that way uh, yeah um so we end with with uh some uh some templates uh which seem fine to me and then two pages telling the story that maybe just maybe the la sombra methuselah montano inspired the emperor constantine to become christian um, the story seemed a bit bit weird, and I wasn't quite sure, you know, what to do with it and why it was was there. I don't think it really did anything for for the clan. Um, uh, and like I said, the templates seem fine. I haven't checked them for um, for consistency whether uh, they they uh, made any mistakes. <laughs> they like like we mentioned before, they do have a tendency sometimes to to make templates where they misspend the points, but it doesn't really matter. It's also more a way of of giving you some interesting yeah. ideas for for characters. Um, La Sombra characters. Did, so, did you oh, want to you say something? To say? Uh, yeah, no, I was just wondering if if we forgot to mention if if you wanted to talk about the discipline powers. Uh, no, it's like I said, like le- the level eight and nine discipline powers uh, are more story hooks than anything mm. the way I see them, and the the combo disciplines seemed rather meh to me. Uh, were there any of them that you thought uh, were were worth uh, talking about? No, I uh, I like the fact that the like like you said the, the high powered ones are are more or less story hooks uh, because you're probably never gonna achieve that that generation necessary for uh, for them. Uh, I do like that that uh, the lower level uh, combination powers were actually kind of useful and and that they were actually lower level so you don't have to have like seven dots in in two different disciplines because you that that's gonna take a while uh but they they are uh, i feel that they are kind of useful it's it's nothing overpowered or uh and and it's again it's something that um uh, both the smothering darkness which is basically the 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 darkness spell from dungeons and dragons uh it, it it could be useful. It's uh, you don't you only need two dots of obtenebration and one uh, dot of obfuscate. It costs nine experience points. Yeah, it, I could see the uses for it. Uh, and the same goes for uh, the dark steel, which is basically you you get um, potenced fueled obtenebration tentacles of doom. Uh, which again, yeah, if if that's what you want to do. Uh, go for it. Um, not nothing that's uh, nothing to write home about, really, but um, uh, not nothing too bad either. So uh, yeah. 
So we move on to the Tsimish, uh, which is my wife's favorite clan. The intro story is one of a spy having been captured by a Tsimish, and I I really didn't like it. Uh, the Tsimish in the story was going for what uh, TV tropes calls affably evil, and it just came came off as trying too hard. Um, what's your comment on that? Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's back to the kind of stereotypical, um, not only like... Uh, uh, yeah, like you said, affable evil, but but again, it's it's a very stereotypical uh, depiction of of the clan as well. With with like, oh, would you please stop screaming just because I torture you and and stuff like that. It's um, again, it feels kind of restricted uh, to uh, to the pages, uh, which is just a bit annoying. And they probably could have done something better with it, uh, especially since the rest of of the chapter is is really well done in my opinion so the introduction to the clan is framed as a report by the tremere spy master celestin and uh, i don't like this framing device i really would have preferred that we get information on the tsimish from a tsimish and at times i think this framing device focuses more on clan tremere than on the tsimish so what did you think of of this framing device specifically yeah, I I agree, uh, especially since the Tremere are one of my least favorite clans. So I, I'd rather have, uh, <laughs> and in if I'm going to read about the Tsmich, I, I want to read about the Tsmich and, and not about the Tremere. Uh, yeah, um, but but the actual information that's that that we get isn't really that bad, but. Uh, I'd rather see it from from a different perspective. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the information given is is quite good, but it could have been it could have been done with a different framing device. Now we've often talked about mixing in stuff from other game lines, which this chapter does by mentioning the Shadow Lord werewolves. Yeah. But it also mixes in something from an entirely different game. Do you know what um, V's spelled V I S uh, that they talk about here? Do you know what that is? No, I'm I'm not sure really. I think I've heard the phrase, but I, I don't know where it comes from. No, exactly. Um, it comes from a game that I've mentioned a number of times before, Ars Magica. Uh, it oh, okay. is solidified yeah. magic. Uh, it, it's what they, the mages in Ars Magica, call solidified magic. Um, I don't know if it's been made, mentioned at this point is uh, in uh, Mage the Ascension, because if I recall correctly, I haven't played Mage all that much. They use terms like quintessence and tass, so I don't actually know if they have mentioned these at this point, and if they haven't, then they're taking a term that is that is from another game. Sure, it's uh, As Magica is, is a big inspiration on... Um, the world of darkness, but still, um, I think that that re- in this case they really should have um, should have kept it more approachable for someone who have only read the vampire books. Um, now there is a really great sidebar on page forty four where they talked about talk about having moved the timeline a bit and changed the motivation uh, for the so called Drang nach, nach Osten, basically saying that they have changed real world history to suit their narrative while explaining how this could be the result of canites, canite machinations. To me, this is really an example of changing history done right, with a logical explanation uh, for it. So props for this one. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's one of those things that uh, it's it's basically the conflict in, in Eastern uh, Europe, yeah, Eastern and Northeastern part of Europe, where, where you have the Teutonic Knights who 
when they realized that the that that the holy land is is kind of uh, lost so they they go out and try to find other uh, pagans and and heathens to uh, to to slay in the name of of everything that is good and holy uh, which which means that and we talked about it before that the Teutonic Knights actually had uh, their own state uh, more or less in in Eastern Europe uh, and they were in conflict with um, with the pagans to the east and and this would of course uh, would have set them in conflict with uh, with its Michi as well. Uh, so yeah, it, like you said, it's it's uh, changing history done right because it's it's nothing huge like oh let's make uh, this king or or this pope a vampire and and move everything about and uh, have what happened be due to coldonic sorcery or whatever. It's it's just you're you're uh, moving the timeline just a few years, allowing things to happen in the time frame uh, of the game setting. Uh, which is yeah why not you you could probably do that if you wanted to yeah, exactly i mean totally uh, fine. vampires uh, pushing the the teutonic order and the the king of um, king of hungary to uh, to get things done uh, a bit a bit faster um other than that you know the introduction uh, to the submission their rituals traditions and so on uh, like we said really really good uh, just with a bit uh, different uh, framing device i think it would have been better i especially love the introduction to the Tsmish declaration of war um where you ha- where a Tsmish has to sneak into another Tsmish's territory kidnap his favorite uh, servant flay them and write the um, war declaration on the skin of the the flayed servant and everything uh, and and just the general description of how the Tsimish they have these uh, territories they go to war for territories if they take over a territory they are bigger and more powerful so they can take over bigger and more powerful territories i'm currently playing a game called crusader kings and it, it feels very similar to <laughs> to that game where you just keep on yeah. taking new territory um so if it hadn't been for the the framing device of the tremere i think this section of the chapter is just really really perfect yeah, I I agree with that, uh, and and like you said, it's uh, they they have some really interesting uh, kind of um, what what do you call them traditions? Yeah. Uh, like, like for example, the, I I'm not a huge fan of the artwork depicting no. the the flayed skin, but yeah, it's it's close enough. Um, but but yeah, in, in general, I, it, there are a lot of things that that I like about uh, the, this book and and how it is written. Like you have. Um, at least for the La Sombra and, and its Michi, you have uh, kind of like their their look on embrace and traditions surrounding the, the embrace. Uh, and so, for example, you have the Tsimichi where they, they bury uh, their, uh, their their new uh, childs you know, children in, in, in a grave and you're supposed to claw your way out, uh, which uh, I, I think is, is a nice touch because, again, kind of like what I mentioned about the La Sombra and the Bloodhound, uh, it it uh, is kind of a um, taste of what's to come with with the modern day Sabbath tradition of of embracing a bunch of of people and and throwing them in a pit and then just uh, accepting whoever manages to get out into your uh, pack. Uh, so yeah. so again and and again now it makes more sense since the Tsimiche is actually part of of the Sabbath in in modern nights. Yeah, and and uh, in later books you also. Um, have uh, situations where the Tsimish, uh perform mass embraces and then send these 
uh, neonets uh, rushing headlong against the Tremere, uh, once again drawing parallels to to the Sabbat tactics. Um, mm. Now, after this this um, section uh, with the Tremere framing story, we get a bit more about the clan from a neutral uh, standpoint, as well as a fairly long list of revenant families. It annoys me... Oh, sorry, you want to say something? No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, it, it annoys me that when presenting already established families, they tell you to refer to the Storyteller's Handbook uh, to the Sabbath and Ghoul's Fatal Addictions for each family now that is some yeah. wasted word count they could have just at the beginning say, uh, said for these families refer to these books i don't actually mind them referring back to other books because it would have taken up way too much space in this book to explain each of the families um now i happen to like revenants so having a couple of fun new families to play with was a plus for me but i don't know what what do you think about revenant families i i like the idea of them i've i've never really been in a game where uh where I have where where they have been a thing really, especially since I've mostly been uh, playing Modern Knights when I played Vampire, uh, but it it does go or the concept of, of Revenant families goes very well into the whole um, Draculan uh, aspect of the Tsimichi, which uh, is kind of unavoidable. But again, this is this is how you do it right. Like you you have these families that serve. Uh, the the old uh, vampire lord or lady of of the castle up on the hill and it's a lot of that that kind of imagery in this chapter that uh, the the Tsimichi lords often uh, kind of uh, place their their castles high up on on uh, mountain tops and stuff so that they can stand on the parapets and and using auspects to basically spy on uh, on the mortals living in the land. Uh, and I agree with with what you say about it's being completely pointless in in repeating the same uh, for this go to this book uh, thing in at the end of them. Um, and and but I like I said I like the concept of uh, of the revenant families. Uh, but here we have again like the the different. Um, well, I'm no, not sure how to to uh, express it, but kind of like the the different. Um, levels of, of weaknesses. Ah, yes, yeah. Uh, so, so for example, you have uh, one of them, which is that, yeah, you you become uh, you. Uh, some of them can only have eight blood points instead of ten. Uh, some uh, some of them frenzy just like the Brucha, and then then you have the one which is basically, yeah, the the vampires don't trust you, so they only taught you two disciplines instead of the normal three, and that's just okay. Does that mean <laughs> that they can never learn any more disciplines? Because that would be a, quite an impressive flaw. But if it's just like, yeah, they don't trust you, so you have to find another teacher, then then it's not really a flaw at all. It's it, yeah, it's it's just kind of weird. Uh, that way. Uh, later, they introduce one uh, uh, revenant family whose weakness is that they're allergic to garlic. Oh no! <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, it, I mean, uh, I I've played Transylvania Chronicles twice now, and in both uh, cases, we've um, the the group that we've played have been close to the Tsimish, so we've had a lot to do with revenants and basically uh, revenant trading uh, is is. Um, quite a, a thing when you are playing with the Tsimish. Um so so I've had a lot to to do with them but yeah in modern nights they're not they're not that um 
that prominent. Yeah. Uh, so we also get stats for Schlachter and Hellhounds and some additional rules for the Voscht. It's nice to have some basic stats for when they're used as an as antagonists, so I like that. Uh, and then we get the rule stuff with new traits in the form of body crafts and mm-hmm. torture, new merits and flaws, new discipline powers, and Kaldunic sorcery. I don't know if this is the first time Kaldunic sorcery has been mentioned or if it's the first time it's been codified, but it's certainly the first for Dark Ages. Uh, if we take Kaldunic sorcery first, because that's the big thing, what's mm. your take on, on the Kaldunic sorcery? Uh, I, I think it's something that, that works for the Tsimichi. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it myself, but it's it's not something... Uh, they only have like a, a few rituals uh, in, uh, uh, in, in this uh, book, but they are, I think... Uh, useful both from a ga- uh, or a play perspective and uh, a storyteller perspective uh, and it's it's basically at least in this book it seems it's it's just um uh, a renaming of of the uh, of some thematology paths uh, but it's it kind of fits the whole uh, Tsumichi as as ancient and and like doing weird stuff in the basements or dungeons of the castles and uh, so I don't really have anything to complain about when it comes to this. No, I, I mean, I've I've never been a fan of thematogy proliferation, where all of a sudden uh, half the clans have thematogy. But yeah. when it comes to Kaldunic sorcery, I like it because it's limited in scope. Um, later in uh, in Dark Ages, uh, Vampire, I think it's Player's Guide to the High Clans, they redo um, Kaldunic sorcery, and they say there are five paths, way of earth, air, fire, water, and spirit, and nothing more. And I really like that because you limit it to, okay, there are these five paths and that's it. And that's all they can learn. Um, and and then there are some uh, rituals. Uh, I'm a bit annoyed about the mention of House Titulus of, of um, the Order of Hermes, because once again, I don't like mixing in other games. Yeah. But I think it's very cool and appropriate uh, for the Tsimish. So when it comes to the sort of, of thematogy outside Clan Tremere, I like Kaldunic Sorcery also because they later make it very, very different from Tremere Thermatogy. Yeah, and and I think that's uh, kind of uh, my my biggest thing about why I actually uh, like Kaldunic Sorcery. It's it's that it's just not uh, thermatogy, um, at least how it's done later on. It's it's just not uh, not that. Oh look, we have another wizard spell casting uh, clan, but it's it's actually something different and the way it's portrayed. Um, is yeah. is really nice. Uh, I, one one thing I would say about uh, uh, the ritual though is that uh, you have a level level nine ritual, which <laughs> yeah. allows you to turn into a dragon. And I'm just racking my mind trying to figure out how. First of all, it's it's the old uh, evil overlord. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. Never turning to a snake, and and in some ways, <laughs> I, I'm guessing that a, a dragon could be a snake. I, cooler than a snake but but still but but just first of all when are you going to use this okay it's yes. a level nine ritual so it's it's probably not something that the players are going to uh to have access to but when or when will this be appropriate in a game and second and perhaps more importantly when would you be able to use this without it turning into a, a very silly situation, and and then it's just ending up like uh, a D and D session where we have to slay the dragon. Exactly. It it. 
I mean, the Tsimish have a connection to the image of a dragon, but this is just taking it a bit too far. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So one thing uh, with the new skills that really annoy me is the description for having six dots in torture. It just says Torquemada. Now, most of our listeners will probably know enough to connect him to the Spanish Inquisition, and I really didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition in this book. <laughs> no, at least not in the Tzimish section, perhaps in the La Sombra section. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was the first Grand Inquisitor for the Spanish Inquisition, something that happened almost 300 years after this book. Mm. And he was only human, so he couldn't have six studs in anything, and the Spanish Inquisition didn't invent torture, and or even any specifically new methods of torture, and so on and so on. So it, it's just it's just a bad choice. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I also don't like the merit secular, which makes uh, the character who takes it an atheistic scientist who is less affected by capital F faith as well as infernal powers and allows them to make great technological advances. I don't think it really fits with the way that Samisha generally described. No, I, I think the kind of, of first part is uh, that that you're just secular, that that God has no power over you because uh, basically the, this is your land uh, and God isn't invited. Uh, you're, you're the Lord of your castle. So so in that way, it would be kind of cool uh, to, to have uh, preferably a really, really old vampire who is basically that, yeah, I've, I've seen the rise of... Uh, Christianity, and I was I was uh, there when uh, Muhammad st- first started preaching, and and I've seen all these mortal prophets uh, peddling their their mortal gods, and yeah, don't don't talk to me about uh, <laughs> those kinds of things, kiddo or, or yeah. something like that. That really works, but but when you mentioned the the whole like inventor thing, I I could see kind of the connection to like. Um, the uh, flesh crafters uh, experimenting on on bodies and stuff like that but it's I, again it's it's a bit too i wouldn't say steampunky but uh, it's it's a bit too much in my opinion with with the whole inventing they they actually mentioned the uh, a da vinci-esque flying machine which is is not something that I would want to see in a vampire game at all, and especially no. not in uh, in like a Tsumichi setting. No. So um, the last thing that I want to say on uh, on the subject of these um, uh, game mechanics things is, I think the high level powers uh, that they present are generally way underpowered. Uh, they're going for some very um, uh, sort of th- uh, uh, thematic and and very visual powers, but but for what they do, I think they're really, really underpowered. Also, one of them is called Living Testudo, where the Tsumish grabs um, uh, an opponent, uh, holds them by their spine using uh, vicissitude, and then use them as a shield. And um, I think... The, uh, the whoever wrote this got a bit confused because testudo doesn't mean shield, it means tortoise. Um, <laughs> there yeah, was well, it's, a, it's a the Roman, Roman formation of, yeah, of the... Exactly. So, so yeah, it's it's a bit confusing where... Yeah, the, the Roman, there was a Roman formation called a testudo which was overlapping shields, but, but testudo just means tortoise, so yeah. it, it would be 
more along the line. I, I don't actually know what Latin for shield is. If it's uh, Aegis or um, no, it's not Aegis. That's uh, that has Sco- a Greek origin. And yeah, there's scutum, which is of, what they called their yeah, their big uh, square shields. I don't know, but but they they should have used a different word. Yeah, I I I do know the word for it, but I can't remember it right now. Uh, mm. So, uh, but but yeah, it's it's not just the. I I do like the idea of uh, of it. Uh, it's it's a very visceral and uh, appropriate idea of of having this um, very like callous uh, Tsimichi lord just grabbing your random peasant or or uh, mortal soldier on the battlefield and using it as a shield and and you can also kind of like break parts of the, the mortal and and fashion them into weapons so you can grab a rib and throw it as a javelin and stuff like that i i like the feel of of the power but as as a sixth level vicissitude power it's uh yeah i, I agree that it feels kind of uh, underpowered um yeah i could see it as as maybe a um a vicissitude uh potence compi power set it at yeah. level three for both that i think that would make make more sense mm. uh, yeah something like that yeah. So once again, we uh, we end with templates. Where my only comment is that we've had an entire chapter painting the Tsimish as utterly inhuman monsters who make sure to destroy whatever vestiges of humanity that might linger in a new child. And then one of the templates is on Road of Humanity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's uh, a story looking to the future. Some pages from the diary of Lambach Ruthven, who's a, a famous Tsimish character. I've said before that I prefer to keep. Uh, the dark ages uh in the past so uh that wasn't for me um but peter do you have any last comment on the tsimish uh no well um kind of in in general i i like how it is written and and it's it ties very much into the whole kind of like the the draculan uh, myth of of them being connected to the land and, and being the lords of the land and they have uh, dominion over the, the mortals living there and, and stuff like that, uh, which which I do like and and kind of like I mentioned the the hints of of um, uh, the Sabbath ritual of uh, burying your newly embraced. Uh, what I didn't like was how like you also mentioned that that he um, connected to to other um, to other gaming systems or or other settings and and one of them that kind of annoyed me because it feels very um very pointless is uh their conflict with with the shadow lords uh which i had to google because i had forgotten that they are a tribe of uh, of werewolves yeah and it's uh, a problem when you have to google stuff if yeah, that's in the book yeah exactly uh but uh and and i'm thinking because that kind of conflict between the the more um uh, the more stationary um Tsimichi uh, living in their castles and and uh, controlling the land, and then you have a threat running around up in the mountain, being more nomadic that you can't really control. That idea, I think, is really really cool. But I think they could have solved it much better with them just having uh, a conflict with with the clan Gangrel, uh, mm. because that that would make a lot more sense. And I feel that up until now, uh, the clan Gangrel has been kind of left uh being left outside uh, and they're often kind of described as just being in the fringe and oh since they're nomadic they don't really have that much influence over anything 
So, so I feel that this would be a, a great opportunity to kind of bring them into uh, the setting a bit more. Um, it, it, it would clash a bit because they do mention that, that the Tsimichi sometimes uh, form alliances with, with both, both uh, Nosferatu and Gangrel to, to fight the Ventru mostly. Uh, but I, I think I don't think that that would have to be a problem. You could just tie that in with uh, those Gangrel that are actually allied to uh, to the Fiends uh, are the ones who would later on become the anti-tribe uh, when the Sabbath rolls around. Uh, yeah. So so I think that would be a, a better way to have the uh, that kind of conflict that they're after. Uh, but it's yeah o- overall it's it's a missed opportunity and uh, it's it's something that could be solved differently. Yeah, uh, I'll say uh, one last thing about this chapter and that is that um, currently, as mentioned numerous times, I'm playing Transylvania Chronicles. <laughs> one of the players is playing uh, at Simish and just the amount of stuff uh, that uh, is being used from this um, chapter shows me just how well written it was and how useful it is because there's a lot of that being involved in the game so uh, and then we have one of your favorite clans the ventru so peter take it away yeah well we we have the ventru and i i don't know why they don't get enough love because it's of of the chapters in this book and i i really like all three of these clans and i like the book overall but this this chapter feels. Uh, I I would want to say, I, I want to use the, the the old trope that boring but useful, uh, <laughs> and and also I'm gonna throw in the phrase a missed opportunity because they they have like the the Ventru is a, a clan like you mentioned they they're one of my favorites because they they can be really cool uh, as kind of the one of the quintessential uh, images of. Uh, like the the vampire, like the the, the cool uh, nobleman vampire, like um, Gary Oldman in in Bram Stoker's Dracula. If if he wasn't obviously an old clan Simish, he would mo- most likely be a Ventru. Uh, mm. you, you even have his uh, feeding restriction is that he has to feed on on uh, women who who looks like uh, what what's her name the Winona Ryder, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so, so you have that that whole thing, but um, in in general, uh, there there are some goods and some bads, and and but mostly uh, in this chapter, I feel like it's it's a missed opportunity because you have a lot of the the history of the uh, the Ventru of of how it goes back to to the first city or second city, perhaps it is, and and then Rome, of course, and their relationship with. Uh, the Malkavian and the Toreador and their conflict with the uh, with the Bruja, uh, but just just the fact that they they don't have a section on uh, on the Ventru traditions of uh, the embrace like the mm, other two yeah. chapters had, um, and the um, the the fiends got a whole section on on revenants and. Uh, the La Sombra section mentioned the relationship with both the Salubri and the Bali, and even the Kiasid, which I I could have done without the Kiasid because <laughs> there the, some someone once told me uh, or they're kind of um, the Neil Gaiman's Sandman uh, clan basically. Yeah, uh, uh, they 
I'm, I'm uh, once we get to the 20th anniversary edition of uh, Dark Ages, they've done some something really really cool with the Kia Sits. So it's oh, going to okay. take a while until we get there, but uh, but I think you'll like yeah. them when we get there. Well, I'm I'm not going to say I'm I'm not going to make any promises and like but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but but um, uh, the Ventro didn't uh, get enough of that. They they do have some. Uh, really nice sections about uh, the different areas that that they control um, like uh, just like the La Sombra did uh, and and we have a, a really nice section of uh, on uh, Mithras uh, mm. which I I think is Mithras is is I I would kind of describe me as as old school Ventru in in the kind of way that that I like how uh, Ventrus should be depicted because it's it, it's just not these boring modern day uh, boardroom uh, suit and tie type. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's it's more like lead from the front and and look like okay, I'm I'm the boss and and this is why I'm the boss. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's speaking kind of, of yeah. Sorry. Uh, speaking of areas they control, um, uh, we we uh, we we have a um, a group of Ventru who have uh, an interest in the church. And as mentioned, they uh, many of them, at least when when uh, Rome fell, began taking refuge in monasteries. Yeah, how many clans are in yeah. those goddamn monasteries now? Yeah, I that, that's <laughs> that, that's a general thing in this. You, you have the monasteries when it comes to the uh, to the La Sombra as well. So so yeah, we we have the uh, again in either in the world of darkness there are a lot more monasteries or they're really really crowded. Uh, but but yeah, those those were kind of my initial gripes with the, uh, with this chapter. But we can we can go through it a bit more. Uh, but like, what, what are your uh, opinions on on this chapter in particular? Well, it introduces uh, the concept of the deva, um, which are uh, described as these ancient powers, not just um, antediluvians and Methuselah, but also um, ancient mages and really powerful werewolves and fey lords who are trying to manipulate the world. And I absolutely love this concept because not only do they refrain from referring to other game lines, they say werewolves and fey and mages, but they don't start using anything specific. But they also say that um, the founder of Clan Ventru, he was taught at the knee of Cain and he was given uh, sort of the task of preventing the deva from controlling the world, and so it gives the tr- uh, sorry the Ventru something more than just being um we we are we are the leaders we are the rulers we are the merchants no we are also the ones who are trying to safeguard the world against these ancient and really really powerful threats and it's something that I think could be used more with the with the Ventru that you have some of them who are aware of this and who are justifying. Uh, themselves saying, yes, I am taking over these vast swaths of land and I'm being the the almost tyrannical leader that I am because I need to in order to protect you against something worse. Yeah, I, I really like that part as well. And, and they, they speak about like the, the burden of, of ruling uh, quite a bit in this chapter, which is uh, one of the parts of it that I like that, as you mentioned, it's... Uh, it's uh, being portrayed as, as something that uh, that the Ventru has to do, uh, and I, I also enjoy the fact that uh, the, the the this enemy, this the, the deva, aren't really um, they're not really defined in any way. So, like you said, yeah. it, it could be basically anything, 
which opens up for a lot of, of story hooks like, okay, we have this uh, ancient Ventru who, who goes around killing stuff uh, because he claims that her deva is he, is he correct or is it just uh, paranoid, uh, a paranoid conspiracy nutcase? Uh, mm. so, so it opened up uh, a lot of that. Um, and we we come to again the the artwork in in this chapter is is just magnific- magnificent and it is uh, fantastic and I like that that Mithras is uh, depicted with a spear which is more of a a battlefield weapon uh, mm. and and like a main weapon as opposed to uh, to a sword uh, and it's uh, Mithras is uh, a lot older so back from when he was around as mortal um, spears would be more common uh, and and seen more as um, as like the proper weapon than, than swords would be so it's uh, it makes sense that he would be uh, wielding a spear um, yeah and yeah so so the book goes in a lot about the the connections to to the mortal uh, realms that um, that that the ventru uh, I wouldn't necessarily say control, but but that they influence and and how they are kind of split. Uh, that they uh, in, for example, in, it, it's one of the themes in this that that one of the problems with having a bunch of of rulers in the same clan is that everybody wants to rule the world, and so they start infighting <laughs> quite a bit. And it's yeah, you you kind of get the the. the kind of annoyed feel that yeah if we could just work together we can just get rid of the la sombra and the timichi and the whatever and and then we wouldn't have to rely on the those damn uh, upstart tremeres to help us fight the fiends in eastern europe and stuff like that which i i just think it's it's both hilarious and and very fitting that that you have these bunch of aristocrats that never can uh, can get along yeah uh, um, yeah, one one thing that I absolutely love when when talking about the relationship of the mortal world is uh, in the section on the fall of Rome, where they say that um, uh, they they had to uh, when they were um, when they were influencing Rome, they had to defeat Carthage, and so they they allied with the Turiato and Malkavians, and then it says. Um, with these other clans came the weakness, uh, weaknesses inherent to each, diluting Ventrue's strength when it was needed most. They challenged us for control of the Senate and the Emperor, and were joined in this struggle by other non-Canite forces. Soon the Emperors were swayed by so many different influences. Um, with most of our energies turned towards survival, the Empire was bereft of leadership and began its tragic decline. I mean, that just sums up the Ventrue so perfectly for me. Yeah! If we had to do an alliance, but they were weak and they envied us, and so the whole thing collapsed because they were weak, not yeah. because of us. Yeah, and that's yeah, just it's, it's beautiful. Perfect. Yeah, uh, but and and then we have uh, at the end of the first part, we also have uh, a section on uh, first. There's uh, a section on on the Grand Court of of France that uh, uh, Ventru and and the Toreador set up, and uh, I don't really have anything to say about that. If if that's where you want to place your uh, your campaign and yeah go ahead uh, but we also have um, a nice little section about towns and guilds and the influence that uh, that uh, especially guilds uh, are starting to to gain uh, in this time period uh, and so uh, I, I really like that part but I think that they could have uh, expanded it because it's it kind of gives uh, gives the vent true uh, a bit of a more connection to to the mortal world. Uh, yeah, 
and and that's they there's some of the especially the younger venturer are starting to realize that perhaps there are other ways to influence things than than just by whispering in the ear of of the local baron and or, or something like that so uh, so it's it's a bit um, uh, a bit of a shift in their focus uh, but it it also well it doesn't tie back but it ties forward in times can you say that uh, to to kind Possibly. of like the, the modern capitalist uh, uh, image of of the ventru that the, the boardroom suit and tie uh, kind of people yeah, I, I really like this as well, and I like the idea of, of especially younger Ventru sort of abandoning the whole uh, idea of um, of influencing nobles and generals and things like that and going, hey, look at what the, the uh, sort of commoners are doing in the cities. Uh, they do mention uh, merchant guilds, and, and I think we've talked about this before, that merchant guilds in an, uh, didn't really exist in 1197. They come about about 100 years later, but once again... Uh, you could easily imagine vampires influencing guilds coming around sooner. But, I mean, e- even if you want to, to stay historically accurate, there's still a lot of things going on with merchants. Uh, you have merchant families, but you also have merchant houses, which are like extended families. And merchants were starting to band together, just not in, in a strict guild structure. For example, the merchants of northern Germany, they would travel uh, more or less independently to uh, Gotland, mm, uh, yeah. where they would then join together uh, into companies of merchants that would democratically elect one merchant to be their uh, leader and spokesperson, and they would actually write and sign a charter uh, 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 making that person their leader before they then went on to Novgorod, where they would spend the rest of the year trading and then travel home. So you have the beginnings of merchants associations and guilds, which is something I think the Venture would be really interested in. Yeah, and, and I, I, I get this, um, you, you can have this kind of situation where we're like, you, you mentioned that the the younger Venture are kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, influence over generals and, and mortal princes is good, but look at what we can do with money <laughs> and, and I kind of again referring to to Neil Gaiman, uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett in the Good Omen books, where where you have the uh, the demons of hell, where where one of them is like, today I tempted a priest, and and the next one is yeah, and today I uh, I, I made uh, 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 an honest man lie, and then the the third one goes like, yeah, today I I caused a, a five hour delay on. Uh, on the M5 motorway, causing a lot of annoyance and and stuff like. So you, you kind of have the yeah uh, yeah look look what we can do with modern modern stuff and modern technology and all the ones and just going what's what's a, a highway uh, yeah so so you, yeah it, it it's that kind of feel that I get um, so so yeah that it it opens up if that's the kind of game you want it opens up quite a bit uh, with the inclusion of the, the merchant princess. Um, next in this chapter is is the practices of the patricians, and you have uh, factions where again you mentioned the, the merchant princes uh, and the Normans, uh, and again the grand court, uh, and then there's a sidebar on the knights of blood, uh, which is just something that I would I probably wouldn't physically tear it out of my book, but it's it's just one of the silliest things that i've ever seen when it comes to the ventru because yeah they they don't really fit yeah 
And and the way because what it is is that the idea is that the Knights of Blood uh, formed during the darkest day of barbarian invasions, and the Venture realized that they needed uh, basically shock troopers to to fight their enemies. Uh, but but what they do is that they give up their disciplines of dominate and presence to focus on on the physical uh, disciplines of, of potence, fortitude, and celerity. Of course, Ventru already has. Uh, fortitude, uh, mm. but they they still have to pay the out of clan tax for dots in these disciplines, and then they say that that they, they are used kind of like oh when it's a rebellion somewhere or if you want to uh, if you want to crush a rebellion or uh, enforce the law or your law rather or or kind of inspire your troops and stuff like that or or um, demoralize your enemies. Then they would send in these uh, the, the knights of blood just to crush all opposition. Uh, you do, do you know a thing that is really useful if you want to inspire your your subjects and uh, and and kind of dominate your enemies? Leading from the front. Yeah, and also the disciplines of presence and dominate. <laughs> yeah, so, especially so like presence. They, they they literally mentioned that. Uh, <coughs> um, there, let me see if I can find uh, um, the. Uh, they they are taught. Yeah, there are other, other weird things like they are taught to investigate strange and cover uh, occurrences and to uncover the hidden agenda of the deva, uh, even in the most commonplace of events. Yeah, dominate is probably kind of useful if you're going to investigate something. Uh, yeah, and, exactly. And like they they um, they need to enforce their. Uh, enforce their will upon people and like yeah again presence is a really good discipline for that uh, so so they kind of I, I'm, I'm, I don't really have a problem with the Ventru having shock troopers of their own because many of the let's call them more scholarly clans have things like that you, you have the Cappadocian warriors for example and uh, and um, um, uh, the, the fiends who, who don't have any uh, physical uh, discipline if you don't uh, if, you, if you don't count vicissitude for that they can also they also fulfill the whole kind of night uh, image in some ways <coughs> so so that's I that I don't have a problem with what I do have a problem with is is that they just do it in in such a crappy way mm, yeah. One of the things I, I like about this is that the Normans themselves are, are a faction because I think a lot of people, when they think about the Normans, they just think about, oh, well, they took over um, England and, and then uh, that was that. But the Normans really spread out and became a, a power factor in this uh, in this time in the Middle Ages. So it's nice that, that they recognize just how uh, how broad their influence was. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned that the... Um... In, in some ways, you could almost say that, that England, at least uh, right after the, uh, the conquest in 1066, uh, it's not really a, an English country as much as it is a Norman. Uh, yeah, the nobility exactly. would, would, would speak Norman at this time. It's not really until the, uh, <coughs> the 1300s and uh, the Hundred Years' War where, uh, where English became... Uh, the the language of everyone and and that was probably partially due 
to uh, to the Hundred Years' War, where you want to kind of distance yourself from the French enemies. Mm. So you start to speak uh, English, and and then you have Chaucer starting to write, um, and other authors who are starting to actually write stories in uh, in English. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that, that's a nice uh, addition to it as as well. Um, so and and the, also if if you want to do a bit of connection to to Scandinavia, you can of course have uh, older Norman uh, vampires who originally came from from Scandinavia, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then we have the uh, standard. Uh, uh, relationships with other clans section, which I didn't really have anything to say about. Uh, same here, same here. And then we come to the uh, some new traits um, where we have an archetype uh, with with the mercenary kind, which um, which I kind of liked since it's not uh, a martial mercenary, but it's it's more that you want to make bargains and deals with everyone. Um, yeah. Not not sure if I would ever use it, uh, but it's it's a fun addition and probably could be useful for an NPC. Uh, what do you feel about that one? Uh, I think it's 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 fitting for the sort of um, mercenary attitude that some Ventru can have. You know, make the most profit uh, uh, as fast as possible. Yeah, and then we uh, only have one new discipline power, which is. Uh, a combination of dominate and presence, uh, where you basically force everyone to tell the truth uh, when they're around you. Uh, it's dominate four and presence four, and it costs uh, 21 experience points. Uh, I, I feel that this could probably be useful. Um, what, do you have any opinions of it? I'm extremely ambivalent about this one. <laughs> On the one hand, it it is perfectly thematic. I mean, this is something that, of course the Ventru would develop. But on the other hand, it it would ruin so much in a game, I think, because you, you suddenly take away a lot of subterfuge. Sure, sure you can have yeah. clever people doing saying things that are not technically a lie, but I just... I, I'm, I'm leery of of sort of quote-unquote truth spells in Vampire. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is really yeah. thematic, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be too ruinous for a game if you include it yeah you you would you would need to use it with caution and and know how to use it <coughs> and probably restrict it to to non-player characters um but but yeah like it, you, you it's it's very thematic and fitting for the clan um we also have a couple of of uh, abilities her heraldry and strategy uh, which again is very suitable for uh, for for uh, the Ventru, uh, I, I would probably uh, I, I'm not sure how useful they would actually be, but if if you have like a freebie over or if you want to use it for uh, yeah for for just for flavor, then then yeah, go ahead. Um, and then we come to uh, to the character templates, uh, and we already gone through the uh, some of the the artwork in it, uh, and. Uh, I, I really don't have anything to say about this except that uh, you have the shamed monk, which included in his equipment is a prayer book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And in 1197, I don't think he would have had a prayer book because I'm not sure that he would be literal, literate at all even. Uh, but 
yeah, that's. Uh, uh, do, do you have any anything else to say about? Uh... No, I, I've, I've what I, I think I've said what I wanted to say about the templates. Uh, once again, they're quite inspiring, and the artwork is just uh, really, really good. Mm. Uh, and then we end up with uh, a, a historical note on patrician power gone awry, uh, which is basically the the Ventru and the Toreador. Uh, it's it's kind of like. Uh, uh, preview of things to come that uh, and and I'm again I'm, I'm very uh, ambivalent about this because it's it's about how the Ventru uh, kind of plant the seeds uh, to to the Inquisition to root out their enemies but of course it completely backfires and it turns into the Inquisition that that uh, starts to hunt every vampire um, and and so in that way, I feel that it's kind of interesting, uh, but I'm not sure uh, on on how uh, I I would want to use it. What, what do you think about this? Uh, it's, I'm also a bit ambivalent about. It. I mean, it's it's an interesting uh, idea, and it shows like the when uh, how your manipulations can backfire but again how useful is it going to be you can involve it in a game if you want you can you can not so it's it's just there mm. um yeah so uh time for us to look at this book using our two criteria historical accuracy and gaming application uh not much history to be honest so not really anything to say beyond what we've already mentioned i think uh do you have anything to add about the history in the book uh no not not really nothing that we haven't um, mentioned already again i i like the fact that you have uh, um, portugal mentioned uh in uh, in the la sombra chapter and and that uh, they they are uh, touching on on other things um just a yeah. small thing is is that uh, again, it's kind of like the um, the prevalence of vampires in general, because in in the La Sombra chapter, they mentioned that there aren't really that many La Sombras in in northern Europe, except if you go to vacation in the new city of Copenhagen, uh, <laughs> as they spell it. Uh, and yeah, that was a weird spelling. Yeah, but but that start, uh, got me started thinking like so. Are there vampires around in Scandinavia at this time, or, or is it still werewolf territory? And, and it's it, uh, it's not really a paradox, but it's it kind of goes into conflict with with uh, um, other depictions on on these areas uh, that we have seen in other books. Yeah. But uh, that again, is a question it, it's that, not a big thing. Yeah, that is a question that will be answered when we look at the book Wolves of the Sea. Mm. Um, so as a game book, I love it. Uh, it gave me a real interest in all three clans. Um, I feel it, it broadened their appeal. There was a lot of stuff I can see myself using both as a player and as a storyteller. Certainly there are some new plans for my La Sombra and Transylvania Chronicles after reading this. Uh, so what did you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, except for the things that we have complained about, uh, a lot of things in this, or most of the things in, in this book is uh, really cool and very atmospheric and and it gives you a different way to to play the clans uh, and and to use them uh, and what i really like is is that they make uh, especially the the la sombra and the, the fiends uh, not relatable but but playable it's that it's it's not just them being the the weird antagonists that that uh, they are in 
at least in the previous edition of the modern knights that oh you have the the sabbath clans that are just weird and strange but that you can actually use them like we mentioned that even even younger la sombra um can be members of of the amici noctis and and um you you can have the uh, the kind of uh, fiends that um, participate in in uh, their own twisted crusades or in the or rule over their lands, uh, the, mm. the mortals, um, and uh, and and the the only thing like I already mentioned is is that I feel that they could have done more with the Ventru and kind of like expanded on them and and give them the more um, more more player related things because they, there's yeah. a lot of history in in that chapter and which is kind of cool if you're into that stuff. But I would have wanted to see more. Uh, things that that you as a venture player uh could have done um i i also would like to tie back a bit to uh to one of our side quests when we talked about um uh, buildings and and architecture and and like sacred places for uh for vampires because uh, i feel that um, these three clans would be perfect examples of of when you could use uh, what we talked about in the side quest, like, yeah, like, definitely. Like, like for example, the the conflict in um, or the reconquista in uh, on the Iberian Peninsula that that you have uh, you have these La Sombra who who sit around and plot, and one of them being Muslim and the other being Christian, and and after they they've had their meeting uh, on Sicily and and been all uh, not necessarily friendly, but at least amicable cordial. to each other. Yeah, cordial. Uh, they they go back home and and one of them realizes that God damn it now now that damn uh, Christian uh, La Sombra has has raised my my favorite garden and library and replaced it with uh, a guild or something like that or, <laughs> um, or, yeah or uh, and it also uh, kind of ties in the the mentioned Mithras that when he all of a sudden wakes up in. Uh, well, not modern, but medieval England. The, one of the first things he does is to try to reopen a pagan temple, uh, which doesn't really work that well uh, for for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. But but I still feel that that's kind of an interesting. Like, what do you do if you wake up after a few hundred years in torpor and realize that your your temple has been raised to the ground by your enemies, or or that you can't do. Uh, the, the kind of things that you did before so uh, yeah just just a throwback to to that but yeah. overall uh, I really like uh, enjoy this book uh, and uh, n- not only the, the actual text uh, but the artwork ties really well into the different themes as well yeah so next time as mentioned it's a side quests and then a break for the holidays when we come back it will be with clan book barley uh, that's going to be interesting i have a feeling that we'll add even more vampires to the monasteries so peter <laughs> any last words from you uh well um i would encourage people to uh interact with with us and with the each other in uh, on facebook and on discord and if you have any questions or uh, opinions uh, or, or requests perhaps uh, then please uh, tell us and we'll try to cover that in the 10th uh, session yes and with that it is goodbye from me Jacob and from me Peter farewell and see you next time goodbye goodbye